1: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Welcome to New Books in Economics, a podcast channel of the New Books Network. I'm Tim Jones, and my guests today are Sven Carlson and Jonas Leon Hervard, authors of the Spotify play, how CEO and founder Daniel Aik beat Apple, Google, and Amazon in the race for audio dominance. The book was published in English in February 2021 by Diversion Books, and is currently being adapted by director Per Olaf Zerensen as a Netflix miniseries. Fifteen years ago in Stockholm, Daniel Ake and Martin Lawrenson had an idea. The music industry was desperately trying to hold back the tide of piracy via file sharing, but this was proving as hopeless as the war on drugs. Why not, they thought, use the new torrenting technologies to make piracy legit and themselves rich? In 2006, they founded the company with a handful of engineers, no licences and no revenue. Even the company name was an accident after Lawrenson misheard Ake's suggested name, and bought the Spotify.com domain license. Today, Spotify is the world's most popular audio streaming subscription service with 345 million users and with a market capitalization of $60 billion. Business bookshelves are full of rags-to-riches biographies of Amazon, Twitter, Airbnb, Uber, and Netflix, but until now there's been nothing in English on Europe's one tech giant. Finally, Swedish journalist Van Carlson and Jonas hervard have filled the gap with a book based on interviews with more than eighty sources and a mountain of public and private documents. Sven is a technology reporter at Swedish Radio, who went to school in Moscow and New York. Jonas was raised in Stockholm and Arizona, is a veteran business reporter who is now at the digital subsidiary of Dagen Industry. Sven and Jonas, welcome to the podcast. Thanks.
3: Thank you so much.
2: Um, As I may have hinted in the intro there, I've been waiting for this book to come for a long time. Um, I read Brad Stone's Everything Store, Nick Hilton's hatching Twitter and Lee Gallagher's Airbnb story, but there was no equivalent out there on Spotify. So thank you. Um, After following the company for so long, what made you decide to write the original Swedish book and why write together?
3: I mean, I think the, um, the Spotify story sort of got, got something of a, uh, cl- there was a, an end <laughs> to the book uh, it, that we could envision once they were listed on the stock exchange. Because mm-hmm. really, I mean, th- there were existential questions that uh, surrounded the company for, for a long time, you know, would this uh, business model work, would the artist community accept what they were doing. Um, a, a lot of those things were not uh, given, you know, if you just mm-hmm. uh, look back a few years. And so by the time that they reached um, the stock exchange, it felt like here's, you know, this is, we could now do, we could try and sort of chronicle the, what, what Don Dick would call the, the sort of first inning of the company's history um, and, and writing together. Well, I, I don't know, Jonas, how did, how did that happen?
1: Uh, we were colleagues at the Doggins industry and writing about tech companies, and this was the biggest tech story of them all. And mm-hmm. I'd been thinking for years about writing a book about Spotify, but it was a very, very secret company. And uh, it was hard to sort of get good sources uh, that that had uh, seen it all from the inside. But once uh, the the company was going to be listed on Wall Street, um, we realized that the, a new era of transparency, uh, sort of was on the horizon for Spotify and that probably uh, it would be easier to get people to talk about the early days also as a result of that and, and we had a few sources between the two of us and uh, we talked about it a little bit and Sven actually ha- ha- had his own ideas and had, a, had booked a meeting with one of the big publishing houses in Stockholm uh, so he wasn't sure that he wanted to write this book together with me but then I also had a, a good publishing source and eventually, we pitched it together, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, they said yes uh, right away. Uh, we didn't have much to start out with, but um, we knew that there's a great story there, and and uh, uh, if we, uh, you know, between the two of us, we had enough sources to get to get to get started. And um, mm-hmm. it's been a really interesting adventure to to try to uh, find our way into the story because because uh, Spotify it's an unofficial corporate biography, so Spotify has declined interviews uh, specifically for the book. We've, we've interviewed Daniel and Martin as journalists several times throughout the years uh, and uh, continue to cover the company as journalists. But for this book, they, they have not participated in any way, uh, mm. the, you know, the, the fa- neither the founders nor the company. So we've have to, had to rely on a lot of off-record sources and, and um, as you mentioned, over 80, 80, 80 sources to- in total. Mm.
2: And how, how did you write it? Did you take a chapter each or how did you do it? Actually,
1: I, I, I focused on the early early years and Sven on the later years. Uh, so that was one way of dividing it up. But then we've we've gone into each other's parts and so we've done it all together in the end uh, and we've read it out loud to each other a lot. And uh, so there isn't a sentence in this book that we haven't both sort of tinkered with, I, I'd say.
2: Yeah, I didn't notice any change in style. I don't uh, between any of the chapters, so um, that seems to uh, verify that.
1: A lot of sitting out at the at Sven's dad's summer house in the archipelago of Stockholm and reading the book aloud to each other and just going crazy over over <laughs> over all the changes and arguing and so on uh, uh, with each other about how to how to put this together, but. Um, uh so a a lot of uh passionate discussions never any breakups uh it's it's made the book better that we've that we've been each other's editors kind of
3: and the i mean the book the original book was published in uh, 2019 in sweden and um by the time we were um translating the english uh version we also uh had the opportunity to add a lot of research and reporting that really sort of clarified a few important things and and gave us some more sort of character depth, I think, uh, in terms of Daniel and in terms of a few other key people. So uh, I'm quite happy, and I think Jonas is too, with, with this English language version because it feels like it's uh, sort of uh, up to date and and just a little more fleshed out. Um, so so we're, we're glad that it's finally out. Did you find that
2: um, people, some of the people who hadn't spoken to you for the Swedish edition approached you? Because they wanted to put the record straight, or they wanted to say something, something to get into the English edition.
1: Well, kind of the other way around. But we, mm. uh, when we went knocking uh, on some of the same doors that had been closed to us uh, in the first round, we noticed that some of them opened up because people realized, oh, it's gonna, it's gonna come out in in English in this in the states, and mm. maybe uh, the, the response to the first version of the book was. Uh, Positive enough that they that they dared uh, talk. so yeah some some people uh, decided to contribute uh, that, that said no to us uh, in the first round. And, and a lot of people that have seen the story from the inside feel a, a, a great degree of personal loyalty to to Daniel and to the company. Um, uh, and so you can understand that they that they were sort of hesitant uh, when we came knocking and they didn't know who we were. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, it, it helped uh, that the book had gained some traction by the time we uh, translated and updated it for for the uh, the English version.
2: And, and tell me about the Netflix uh, thing. How, how when did that? When when did you first hear about that?
1: Early on, uh, and it was the, the production company Yellowbird that was interested in buying the film and television rights, uh, and and then they finally did and then uh, more months passed and then they sold it to Netflix and uh, uh, so the situation with that is that we're not part of uh, that production at all uh, Mm -hmm. and we're not consulting we're not part of it at all and I think um, that's probably a good thing uh, uh, because we're still as journalists covering uh, the company, and and so uh, mm. it's just as well to keep these uh, things separate. You know, this this uh, we we don't want to sort of answer t- uh, for what Netflix and, and Yellowbird are going to do with this. But I mean, it's a it's a drama, it's a dramatization. So it will be based on a true story, I'm guessing, uh, and um, it's two separate worlds, really. So so mm. um, uh, very separate projects. Uh, we're not a part of it.
2: I mean, it's the ideal thing to 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 be trying to film at a time of uh, at the time of pandemic because there's never going to be more than a handful of people in the room at any any time uh, yeah I, it, I don't know how far they've got with it
1: i yeah we don't we we, we can't really answer to that but um yeah. Uh, uh yeah it's it's uh yeah it, it will be um interesting to see what they what what how they create drama uh mm-hmm. in this in this kind of a story. Uh, Maybe it will be like uh, Margin Call or one of those films, you know, mm. that, that have a, a certain intensity to them, despite be taking place in inside offices to a great extent. Uh, yeah. I'm really uh, excited to see uh, what what the end result is of this.
2: Yeah, well, I, I mean, coming to the book, it's um, it was really funny reading it to realize how long ago 2006 seemed. Uh, I mean, even the. And actually, even the really crucial moments of the development of the company in 2012, 2013, because the technology has moved so quickly over that time. I mean, I'd actually forgotten that Spotify was a desktop uh, product originally and had to move very quickly into the mobile app for survival. W- w- was it a similar experience for you in, in, in the writing?
3: Yeah, I think that's a, a challenge uh, covering technology generally, that it moves uh, fairly quickly and you, you're, as a consumer at least, you're not, you're it's sort of, intuitive and you're you're just using it and you sort of quickly forget uh, the rapid advances um and i think that we have to sort of reimagine what what those times were like when we were mm-hmm. when we were writing about those years that you mentioned i mean that was it was very much a desktop product uh spotify did not go really mobile first until i mean quite late uh, as you mentioned you know 2013 14 15 mm-hmm. even Um, And those were, yes, very different times. I mean, the the main uh, competitor were MP3 players. I mean, chiefly Mm. the iPod. And, uh, you know, we, we, a lot of us will remember those, but that's also quite a different way of consuming music uh, and and an entirely different uh, business model that, uh, you know, really Spotify upended.
1: Yeah, and we divided it up. Me taking the early years, and Sven taking the later, because I I was a I was a young business reporter uh, uh, in in you know in ninety nine. Uh, when, when the story kind of starts with Martin Lawrenson, uh, who was one of the two founders building his fortune with a company called Trade Doubler, we trace a little bit of that too. Mm. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm the older one of us who sort of remembers. <laughs>
3: you were actually, you were actually a part of the, the sort of uh, booming Stockholm tech scene for a brief while, right? Uh,
1: yeah, well, I, I, uh, in 98, I worked for a web design company. So I, I saw that world from the inside a little bit, uh, in the first dot com bubble, uh which is sort of when when daniel was still in high school and and martin was was uh building his first fortune which he later invested in in spotify uh so yeah i I kind of have a feel for that time and the excitement of that time uh, and also where the technology was which was someplace Mm -hmm. completely different it was all sort of very new and destined to sort of fall on its face uh a lot of the first iterations of these great ideas uh, you know, Spotify uh, started in 2006. That's kind of late in the game there, there were a lot no. of, uh, companies that had tried this out before. So they, they were lucky to come in not too early, just, I think they came in at the right time, like right before the smartphone revolution, uh, which is really, uh, what's, what's sort of carried them into, to, uh, to all our lives and, and made them be, become a company that can be, uh, you know, that ha- have users in the hundreds of millions.
2: Yeah I I spent a fair amount of time in Stockholm in the in the early noughties myself for for, for my job and I remember it as this very booming sort of uh, hip tech hub place mm. but I again I'd forgotten the I'd forgotten that some of these companies were swedish like Skype and uh, you know Kazar and even part of SoundCloud yeah um and also but also the point you make it was the spiritual home of european piracy
3: yeah <laughs>
2: could you could you outline how how that happened how it was that sweden became this this legit but also non-legit hub
3: i mean i think uh, there's a number of factors there um obviously um internet usage was kind of early in sweden uh, our our broadband uh networks were sort of rapidly built out in the 1990s and so we had speeds that were really sort of, I mean, uh, uh, not very common at all in a country like the United States, for instance, or even in other countries in, in Europe. And then there were a number of other factors. I mean, the, the government had a sort of subsidized uh, home computer program where where anyone uh, employed, uh, either in the public sector or maybe even within the private sector too, could could um, get a pretty large subsidy for, for getting a home computer. And so I remember getting, I actually, while Jonas sort of... Um, became uh, an adult around those types of years around the sort of turn of the millennium i am three years uh, younger than than daniel Eck, but we have a kind of similar background in that we're both from stockholm and i also sort of used napster when that was in its its heyday um and, and around that time um in terms of uh, file sharing uh th- there was a lot of um buzz around that in sweden and, and there was a sort of sense that um I mean, Napster, of course, was was a U.S. service, but it but it really spread rapidly, uh, and the Pirate Bay, obviously, and and Kazaar before that, uh, were two uh, file sharing uh, services that that originated from from Sweden, and and there was a sense that the, in the music industry, at least, that that Scandinavia was was sort of a lost cause, or or perhaps going to be at least uh, piracy was rampant, and that's of course later an important part in uh, why Spotify got to try out its business, its service in the Nordic region, because essentially, I mean, I think the labels uh, felt that, that that was sort of, you know, any, any shot, they, they were willing to take any shot to sort of save the industry there because... Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Things were looking so down. I mean, it was basically uh, the Nordics, particularly Sweden and China, that that sort of made up these like dark red spots on the map. The sort of alarmist maps of piracy that the the sort of industry associations would push out at the time. So that's uh, it's it's actually you know piracy was quite common um, and it had a lot of roots here, um, but it was also a reason that I think Daniel Nick saw the the uh, the true potential of a of a strong widely used music service, Um, and and it was also a reason that they could even start to to begin to try to convert users into something else.
1: Yeah, and also iTunes launched rather late, uh, the iTunes music store launched rather late in Sweden, so piracy had already caught on, and and, and, uh, iTunes never really caught on in Sweden. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, Niklas Senster who founded Skype, also founded Kazaa, which was a file sharing, and uh, the, the biggest one in 2003. And then you had the Pirate Bay coming out of Sweden, which sort of uh, was, was big when Daniels was, was uh, starting Spotify. So there was a lot of inspiration in Sweden. Also, they, uh, you, uh, Microtorrent was started by uh, Ludvig Strigius, who became a Spotify employee. Uh, so he, they had a the piracy star, uh, you know, in, in, in the um, uh, first year uh, as part of the, the the early crew there at Spotify. So, And they used a peer-to-peer technology. So, I mean, they were so much a part of that and grew out of that. They just, they saw, this is what's, piracy is what's going to rule the world. We just want to make a legal version of it. And and the, the, the one question and answer with Daniel Lick that we do have in this book is, I went to this open house that they had at Spotify and they invited a bunch of journalists and I asked Daniel, what's the secret to your success? And he said, I'll give you two reasons and one reason was uh, that they were a free service or a freemium service and they've always been free, not just for three months, but forever. You can use Spotify for free your whole life if you want to. It's restricted in some ways, but the, the number of songs are the same uh, in the free version. Um, and the second reason was that we started in Sweden and grew country by country. And by that, he meant that there was a tolerance from the music industry, that uh, Sweden could be the first little laboratory to see how far this went. And then they could uh, build on that. And so and they launched in England fairly early. But uh, of course, launching in the States became the big sort of uh, challenge, uh, the sort of life or death challenge uh, in, the, in the first years of Spotify. And, and um, a lot of the, the drama in the book, of course, uh,
0: That's Shopify.com/slash-system.
3: Yeah, I think, yeah. and just that free tier remained, and and to this day, to to an extent, remains quite controversial, both among artists, but also uh, with the labels, uh, because I mean, as as critics would put it, that's that subsidizes Spotify's growth at the expense of their competitors and gives music away for free. But that's mm-hmm. you know that that's been a point of contention since the very start.
2: Yeah, it's interesting what you said about the. The fact, you know, the, the music companies accepted it in, in part because it was rolled out country by country. But as you, as you set out in the book, the, the first couple of years, he was really fixated on the idea of, of getting global music rights. And it was only after this one meeting in New York where he basically abandoned the idea. And, and so in, in some ways, he was, he was helped in the long term by what he was not able to do
1: yeah, I think uh, it, it might be to his credit that he had a vision of a completely free service with no premium uh, tier at all, uh, and global. And that was where he that was his starting point. And he held a vision of a free service with uh, all, you know all along and and I think that's what has made Spotify successful. I and mean, then he had a compromise. Uh, I, I, and it might have been that meeting in New York. It's hard to know. People have, have a hard time remembering. But I think that um, some of his colleagues kind of convinced him that this is, you have to have a premium version also. Otherwise, you're never going to get the, the music uh, licenses that you need to launch the service. And, and also, we need to do it country by country because they're never going to give us a, a, an international license from day one. And so mm-hmm. he accepted that and moved along with those challenges. And, and looking back, uh, the premium subscription is, is, is why Spotify uh, has a business model that, that looks like it can be profitable at some point. Uh, it's essential. It's an essential part. Uh, and that's why Daniel likes to talk about freemium business models that of a free business model, which is his first idea. And, um, and the fact that they launched in country by country has, has, has uh, allowed them to sort of Grow and 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 prove to the industry that they can uh, be profitable and that they can, uh, you know, grow in a responsible way. They've been able to point to Sweden as an example of, uh, you know, where where they where they're combating uh, piracy and and helping the record industry grow in a in a legal way and so on. So, um, yeah, if you if you just keep at it and have a basic vision. Uh, then uh, the company can can be worth the problems that it's solving, uh, which is which is the sort of the motto of of uh, Martin Lawrence on the, the other co- Daniel's co founder. Uh, that's what he likes to say that the a company is worth the number of problems that it solves. And Spotify had a lot of big problems to solve, and uh, when it solved them, it became a big huge company as a result.
2: Mm. The, two two very interesting characters in the book. Um, I mean, it's full of it's full, it's some larger than life characters, but Rob Wells and uh, Per sundin from from universal they they seem to have been the two who latched onto this argument very early that that you couldn't play whack-a-mole forever and it was better to have Spotify than to, to than, you know to leave the field open to 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 the pirates. do Do you think those two were quite decisive in the in the success so far of Spotify?
3: I think there were a lot of early champions, uh, of course, and uh, there are some who are sort of more outspoken than others. But yes, I mean, that was crucial to get the support of, not necessarily of the US side of Universal at this time, but of the uh, sort of international arm of Universal, which is headquartered in London. Um, Dean, of course, was the uh, Nordic uh, CEO for Universal, uh, and then there was uh, Rob Wells, who was working on the digital side. I think he was VP, something along those lines in London at the time. And yes, I mean, that's an early sort of crucial meeting where Daniel got an ally on the label side who chose to see the enormous potential that Daniel also saw, who, who sort of, I mean, as as we understand it, uh, believed in this from from the get go. and and became a really important uh, proponent uh, for Spotify on the on the industry side, specifically uh, with Universal, which is, you know, biggest record label. So that was, yes, I, I think so.
1: Both those two were important early proponents, but of course, in retrospect, even more so, right? Now that Spotify was the right choice, was the right side of history to be on, uh, then, then uh, you know, of, of course, uh, you know, so it's hard to know exactly uh, who who was the most important voice in the room at any any one time but these these are figures that have uh, appeared on our our radar uh, and uh, mm. uh, i would hesitate to point out uh, any anyone or uh, any handful of people uh, as 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 sort of uh, uh, holding the keys the, neither one of those two characters uh, uh, made were able to to make the actual uh most important decisions so uh you know daniel had to convince uh, their bosses uh in order to be able to launch in the united states and uh yeah. and how they were convinced i think it's a more complicated story we get into it and i think we found a lot of uh, sort of keys but uh, i think uh, a, a lot of the things that happened will will sort of never be known <laughs> it's it's a uh, it's a it's two years really of, of trying to uh, unlock the unlock the door to the US and and get a hold of music licenses for all the uh, four major record labels at the time um, eventually it became three uh, when when emi was bought but when they were heading into the us it was four uh, labels that they they had to, they had to get they had to get them all to sign on to to the idea
2: yeah and and I hadn't realized till I read the book how you know how how the record label saw Apple as this sort of um, protector, stroke gatekeeper. That they, they felt that uh, it was safer to stick with the company that was selling their songs at a dollar a piece and guaranteeing seventy percent revenue going to the going back to them. So to to break through that did seem extremely difficult.
3: Yeah, of course. And I mean, there was also a problem, um, a potential problem, at least, uh, in, in the sort of reliance on Apple at this point. At, at one point, I think in the US, they had around an 80% market share um, for digital distribution of, of music. And of course, you know, that that meant that Apple was a very important source of revenue for the industry, but it was also you know, one of, one of the, one of the few, um, making them quite dependent on this model that was, I mean, at times felt like a sort of back of the envelope sketch, um, a dollar a song kind of thing, which also broke up the album, which was of course a a major shift in terms of how we consume music. Um, so, so, I mean, Apple was a dominant force for Spotify, but there was also some sense in which, you know, the, the labels, and we, we see that today, I think, benefit from a variety of, uh, uh platforms to, to use as a distribution for their music, whether that be various streaming services or, or social media or sync or whatever types of way they want to sell their music. I mean, I think that's, that sort of puts them in more of a position of, of strength. Um, and, and so while labels were, uh, at times, especially I would say Warner and Universal were quite wary of not, uh, sort of upsetting Steve jobs or Apple too much. Um, there's also, they had a lot to gain from, from being able to, to negotiate with various parties. Hmm.
2: Yeah. And of course, I mean, now where are we, uh, 14 plus years on. And, uh, as, as the results this week showed that, you know, Spotify still hasn't made a profit and the, the assumption among analysts seems to be that it is largely down to the structure of the, uh, the deals that it has had to do with the music uh you know with the recording companies what what's very striking reading the book is really from you you, you get a sense that from sort of 2012 2013 onwards uh ache is looking for any ways to over the medium to long term to break away from this stronghold. um but each time that you know, to put uh, baby steps are taken. He has to, he has to go back because they are so, they are so dominant in the, in this relationship. Do you, do you get any sense that that is starting to change?
1: It seems like podcasting is, is like his new uh, way out yeah. of that problem, that dilemma. Because it's because, for a while, like a few years ago, it looked like Spotify might uh, become kind of a self-publishing platform for musicians and that uh, that would threaten the record labels. But uh, I think that they, the record labels have objected to, to some of this two-sided marketplace uh, business that Spotify has been uh, planning. And, and uh, so they haven't really been able to pursue that full on. And I think um, uh, Spotify now looks at music as this can be marginally profitable. But on top of that, we're going to add other types of audio and um, we're going to try to do what Netflix does. We're going to try to own our own content. So we'll Mm -hmm. be a Netflix for podcasting with exclusive uh, podcasts mixed in with uh, lots of uh, podcasts that are widely available and generally available. And that will uh, make people use our platform for all things audio and uh, and we can find ways to make money on our uh, on the content that we ourselves own you know they've invested a billion dollars in, in buying uh, various podcasting companies and um uh the content uh, and they have they have four of their own uh, po- uh, podcasting studios uh, making their own content so so owning owning the content is I think what's excited the market uh, and yes. and made the uh, the The stock go up maybe i 'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but I, I I think that that the music might just become sort of the backbone of a business that finds other uh, pathways to profitability at this mm-hmm. point. It looks like that that 's the kind of the plan
2: and actually i was, I was surprised because you. I think b- very early on in the book you, you, you describe how when they were building the original platform, they saw it as an agnostic streaming platform. So the idea always was that this would this, you know this was not something that was going to be um, only for music right from the start.
3: Yes, and that's kind of the point uh, about speaking about this in hindsight as Jonas was was saying earlier, in terms of who were the key people involved. I mean, looking back now, there's uh, a lot of people willing to, to take credit. Um, and there's a lot of people, you know, the, the sort of opponents of Spotify over the years um, are perhaps, you know, a little less forthcoming when we talk to them. Um, but of course, this was a negotiation all along. So they helped shape what this service would be um, too, of course. And, and I'm sorry, what was your question?
1: Well, I think that uh, uh, Tim was talking about the fact that they, they, were, they were thinking about television and film uh, yeah, from the very right, early, the early years, and, and they did, of course, venture into this unsuccessful uh, television uh, venture that was sort of quieted down and buried, uh, you know, way beneath the floorboards and that we have a chapter about in our book uh, called Spotify TV. Uh, they they built something comparable to Apple TV, also comparable to cable television, uh, and the technology was great, but they weren't able to um, uh, they weren't able to hammer out the license agreements in any way that looked reasonable, and the, and it just it looked like it was going to have to become so expensive that they had to sort of bury the whole idea, and. Um, and so it's looking... a very
2: crowded very crowded marketplace exactly too, and now
1: it? that when when daniel after our book has been published gets questions on this then he says well at, well, at least we didn't spend too much on that cuz uh, looking back having spent i don't know uh 10 15 million dollars or something like that on this uh, they it doesn't look like it's that much money you know if you compare it to what spotify is worth today but when they were when they were venturing into this in 2012 13 14 15 uh, they, you know, and they had more than 70 people working on this project and stuff. It was a pretty big uh, risk, you know, and, they, and it was a kind of a, a, a major failure. But to Daniel's credit, he pulled the plug uh, before it was too late, uh, so probably at the right time. And, and I think they learned from that that um, uh, they, they want to focus on audio and that there's something about listening uh, that ties it all together in the app. Uh, people don't want to switch from. You know listening to something when they're out jogging or running uh, uh or walking with a baby carriage to like to like watching the screen and you know with it. Mm-hmm. so none of this none of the formats that they tried out worked very well so i think that they've done they've done the right thing now and understanding that they're gonna they want they're, they're trying to be king of audio and uh, that's what this whole experience has sort of led them to conclude this is this is our uh, this is our home court
2: yeah, in some ways, the, the, the pandemic should have done them some favors. You know, the, the, the p- people are desperate to get out and exercise, but at the same time, they're not allowed to mix with people, so they, somebody else needs to entertain their ears.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think uh, absolutely that this is uh, something that, you know, you can bring you, in your solitary everyday activities, Spotify can be, can be with you in a way that uh, Netflix can't that uh, really hardly anything else can you know I'm, you you can you can do laundry and listen to stuff in your Spotify app and and so it's uh really uh it's a it's a it's a killer app if you have like the best audio content you know so we'll see if going forward if they if they add audiobooks or or what the next step will be uh but I think for the coming years Uh, the podcasting play is gonna is gonna be uh, where you see a lot of sort of leaps and strides
3: yeah but as you're mentioning i mean it's video used to be and still is a very crowded marketplace and and audio is too i mean name a large tech company that isn't focusing on podcasts these days even developing original content and so there's there's a, a lot of competition uh spotify's finances are as you mentioned i mean they have Turned a profit uh, in terms of over over a quarter. I mean, over a, a handful, um, fewer than ten, but but still quite a few quarters uh, since they went public. Um, but but their margins are are slim, and and right now it looks as though podcasting will be uh, the way in which they try to to change that. And you know, it's we're, we're quite early um, in terms of the size of the podcasting market, but also in terms of Spotify's push into it so so we'll see i think one key component that they'll have to work on is developing more of an an ad revenue stream and that's um, you know that that changes sort of how the business operates it changes how they process data which can be contentious with users uh, spotify has had run into trouble when they've updated their data privacy policies in the past because there's been sort of an uh, a bit of outrage among users on the internet and so you know, we'll we'll see where this takes Spotify, but they do have to do something about uh, their returns because you know that eventually um, their market cap, which has grown you know significantly uh, over the course of the pandemic, will have to be sort of defended in terms of of profits and not just a, a multiple mm-hmm. on sales.
2: Yeah, yeah. Although I think you point, I think you point out in the book how long. Netflix and Amazon, in particular, went without, you know, without making a profit, simply grabbing market share. It is something that is quite, um, you know, a feature of this of this market segment.
3: Yes, this is true, and that it's it's that it's not necessarily a uh, to your disadvantage, but but uh, there's only there's only so many Jeff Bezos's in the world, I suppose. Yes. Um,
2: one thing you write about quite a bit is is the culture of the company and how how it changed uh, and uh, i think you know s- some of the original engineers quit when they felt it it was turning in in inverted commas, commerce too american and you also very interesting cultural difference between one of the engineers who is a social democrat from northern sweden and, and another who's a sort of liberal from stockholm it, is is that something that's continued in, you know since, since the book is written since the book was finished?
3: I think that was sort of emblematic of the early days, um, especially because there was this uh, ideological sort of uh, uh, current in Sweden where sort of file sharing was becoming the norm, essentially. And, and a lot of people were n- not just doing it because they wanted to get, uh, uh, you know, a music library for free. They also felt that ideologically somehow this was how the internet was supposed to work. And that was the, I mean, the, the one of the key aspects in which Spotify has really succeeded is the way they've been able to transform as a company. So they started out as very technologically focused. They wanted the, the best uh, tech. They wanted the best platform out there to get a product that was just, you know, world-class. And then they began to commercialize the service. And that's where a lot of this friction occurred, which, which you're referring to uh, in the book. And then they've continued to to transform the company into, I mean, at one point it was video. They've pivoted so many times over the years and, and we don't necessarily see that because they're quite secretive about what they do, but they've really been searching for uh, the sort of right recipe for a long time. And, and podcasting is just the latest attempt and it's, you know, we'll see how that goes.
1: Yeah. And I mean, if you look back uh, to like the years after they entered the U S market in 2011, you know, when they were competing with beats music and Pandora, uh, that you know the algorithmic playlist that uh, uh, that uh, Discover Weekly became on Spotify Radio, uh, that was like the big technical shift from the from the sort of European computer nerd lean forward and and create your own playlists to sort of the more uh, American style of just press play and and uh, select one song and it just keeps on. Uh, it understands mm-hmm. the computer understands what you want to hear, and it works more like turning on the radio in your car or something like that. Uh, So Spotify uh, sort of uh, was inspired by some of the American companies that were ahead of them and they sort of uh, surpassed them uh, with Discover Weekly. That was a big hit and uh, algorithmic playlists that sort of are based on what people like and listen to. So they're based on like uh, sort of what human, what actual humans are listening to, what all their their, uh, consumers are listening to. Uh, but then the uh, algorithms sort of sort of combine all this data into like playlists that you fall in love with right away, kind of, in the best of yeah. cases.
2: <laughs> Yeah, there's you got you got that alarming quote from Daniel Ake where he he says something like you know he, he wants people listening to Spotify from the minute they wake up to the minute they go to sleep, so you'll essentially have a soundtrack to your life yeah. with a, with AI knowing exactly how you feel at any. any
3: given that time. was that was around the time when when they had to implement that they had to change their privacy policy and that's when that sort of <laughs> online uh, uh, <laughs> outrage. Um, happened and so they, they sort of have readjusted i think their messaging a bit um you know that that was about five years ago and i think the privacy mm-hmm. discussion is is elsewhere today than it was then but we do see now that you know uh, patents that they file for include you know quite sophisticated sort of audio based personalization of sort of ads and, and profiling users uh in terms of not just what they listen to but perhaps even you know more data than that that they can try to obtain through their platform so so you know there's there is that um there is that sort of tantalizing prospect of of uh uh uh, basically making more money uh in in more sort of sophisticated ways but but it's it's sort of a a tricky path to go down as as we've seen for companies like facebook and and google
2: yeah at the end of the book, or very, very close to the end, you have this quote from an unnamed source, um, quote, Daniel and Martin have always wanted to negotiate with companies like Microsoft, Google, and Tencent to understand the strategic value of the company. I don't think they ever had the intention of selling, end quote.
3: That's hindsight, agree? if anything.
1: <laughs> yeah, That's partially hindsight, but I, I think uh, it rings true to a great extent. Uh, Daniel loves to get up on stages, and talk to uh, startup founders and talk to your a European audience and and tell them don't sell your company to the Americans, don't sell your company to the Chinese, keep on building. We can also become build world-class tech companies here in Europe. Uh, and uh, I think that's the way he's felt about Spotify for the most part. But he has been no stranger to negotiating uh, the sale of his company. and then. The people that are close to him will say oh well yeah he did but he he just you know he mainly was curious to see what what is it worth what would it how would it fit into google uh some people say oh you know if if they'd let him be if they'd let him merge spotify uh with youtube and and he could be uh, the head of that then he would have said yes you know um some people say if he'd you know been offered enough money he would have said yes It's hard for us to know. I mean, it's hard for even him to know, I think, uh, because you sort of rewrite your own story, uh, Mm -hmm. even in your own mind. But um,
3: uh, I mean, there is there is one moment which you would sort of have to hand it to him uh, for. uh, This is in 2009 when Spotify is, is, you know, a European service, essentially with headquarters in London. And Karis um, the, um, you know, podcaster, tech mm-hmm. journalist, um, travels there to interview Daniel for uh, the site she then worked for, which was All Things D, I believe, under the Wall Street Journal. And so it's, it's a video interview. It's sort of, you know, young Daniel, um, you know, l- looking uh, boyish uh, in, in this sort of uh, bleakly lit uh, office room, um, anonymous place. But but she asks him, you know, what's what's the end game here? You know, the, you're you're it in Silicon Valley. Are you gonna, you know, be acquired by a US company? And he and he says, uh, well, you know, my my hope is actually for for us to remain independent and for us to show to show the world that we can do this from Europe and maybe start acquiring US companies. And that's you know, it's it's a bold statement from a twenty four or five year old, however old he was at that point, but. But it really sort of—I mean, it—that's it, that is how it played out, um, and so we don't know if you know. Of course, things could have taken other turns. They had negotiated with Tencent. Um, we've heard talk about discussions with uh, SoftBank. You know, there's there's you know any number of scenarios that that could have actually uh, played out uh, just as well. I think, but but in hindsight, when you, when you look back at that kind of material, you kind of have to to hand it to to the guy, you know.
1: I think that one test that he that he had uh according to some sources is that if if merging with another company would improve the service then that could be a reason uh you know and i think that google was that kind of a company where he felt like this could be a good fit if i'm still uh, in charge of something but uh uh, and if i don't just become some little poor part and i get phased out and stuff so I, i think he never felt confident enough that the uh, that Spotify would improve mm-hmm. by being sold uh, to mm-hmm. to any of these companies that that have uh, negotiated, and I, I guess I mean there's never really been uh, uh, a uh, an offer. Uh, it's never gone past the initial phases. Uh, these these mm-hmm. negotiations that we re- report on. Uh, so um, uh, it's uh, yeah it's it's easy to see the point that that uh, people that know Daniel well. Uh, you know have when they say that he never really wanted to sell but I, I still think that's uh you know it could have happened but it wasn't it wasn't really what he wanted in his heart he wanted to be independent uh, and he wanted to build something big on his own
2: yeah well um finally since this is a podcast about books I asked you both to choose a book to recommend to listeners what what did you come up with
1: well, I would I would recommend Super Pumped by Mike Isaac, and it's it's of course uh, right in the category. I, I thought it was such a fun read, uh, and and uh, Travis Kalanick just being this tech bro character. Uh, it, it's such a comical, you know, he's like a genius, but but he competes with these wild methods, and eventually becomes the enemy of his own company, and they have to force him out. And they compare him to, to sort of an alien intruder, sort of clawing his way into his own company and being thrown out again and again. Um, it's just such a such a crazy, fun story about a company that we all have, a, that, that we're all sort of, that we all, service that we all use uh, and uh, that we all sort of probably have mixed feelings about. Uh, I, I, uh, I thought he really uh, found a good balance there in, in, in how to describe that with uh, with a bit of, uh, a bit of fun, but also like some really, really excellent journalism uh, going into that book. So, super pumped by Mike Isaac about the about the the Uber story. Thank
2: you.
3: Uh, yes, good choice. Um, I, I've uh, been enjoying um, "Say Nothing" by uh, by Patrick uh, Radden who's a, a New Yorker contributor. Um, this is a book about, I've, you know, researched over many years, I imagine, um, about the uh, the troubles and the violence in, in Belfast in the late 60s. And it's really, you know, super colorful nonfiction, colorful, but, but accurate, you know, based on tons of archival research and, and interviews. Um, and, and, you know, it, it sort of reads, it, it teaches you, it, it taught me certainly a whole lot about the, the conflict. Um, but it also reads like a like a thriller and almost like a like a true crime uh, story as well. Um, so, so that I've, I've really enjoyed that.
2: Great. Well, I've read neither. So thanks for the uh, thanks for the tips. Mm-hmm. Um, today, I've been talking to Sven Carlson and Jonas Hervard about their book, The Spotify Play, published in F- February by Diversion Books. Jonas and Sven, thank you very much for coming on.
3: Thank you, Tim.